politics. Long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorf, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University. And I am joined again for our journey through the Constitution with the professor of law at Chase Law School, Kat Ken. Ken, welcome to the Midweek Constitution Show. It is great to be back to the Constitution Show. I'm, I'm going to be honest. This has been one of my absolute favorite things to be doing over the past year change. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's actually I have a, I feel like I have a much deeper reservoir of knowledge to draw on when we're talking about the Constitution than when we're talking about the news of the week. So it, it's fun. Well, it's also fun because, again, you know, th- this is completely your wheelhouse and particular areas of it are my wheelhouse. So I both love to get to be deeper. And then I also, there's been a couple of times where you've done things and I've thought, oh, I have to know more about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I I love that too. And so that's been a lot of fun. And, you know, one of the things I know that listeners have been waiting for ever and us tackling, dun, 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 the second amendment, right? (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) <laughs> and, and uh, uh, you know, this is always a big one uh, 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 for us. And so this week we're going to be taking on the Second Amendment. And it, it is kind of tragically appropriate, I guess, that we tackled it this week, uh, given last week's really, you know, the terrible events in Kansas City. And I, I just thought we really couldn't start the show off, uh, given that topic, without at least saying that much. But I, I, again, of course, we're not really here to dive into the questions of policy so much, but really over the question of the meaning and the purpose of the Second Amendment and its constitutional t- uh, framework. But of course, in some ways, policy and text are maybe at their most intertwined, Ken, in the Second Amendment and in the way that this happens. So I'll just start, like we always do, with reading the actual text of the Second Amendment, which is not long. And it says this, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the, people, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, although written decades ago now, law scholar Robert uh, Shalop, I think, really kind of encapsulated the issue of the Second Amendments. And as he puts it, he said, you know, scholars long uh, thought of this as being defunct and unused in his words. But in society at large, he says, there's really been kind of two different popular interpretations of it. One focuses on the individual's rights and privileges and adamantly that the phrase, quote, the right to bear arms, end quote, is the essence of the amendment. And then you have those of a more restrictive policy emphasis, and they're going to place the focus on, that, on collective rights and on the communal responsibilities of the phrase and stress, quote, well-regulated militia. Now, we have had on this show uh, individuals, such as several years ago when I had the chance Uh, to interview uh, Alan Lickman for his book, Repeal the Second Amendment. And Ken, I won't forget it because after the interview, Mike thought I was, I was, I was, I didn't push back enough. I was too open, maybe a little too liberal. I don't know. (laughs) And so he actually also uh, 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 published a rejoinder 
uh, to the interview and, and maybe in some ways kind of outflanked me a little bit to the right in his own recorded response. So if you're curious about it, any of that, you can head back into the archives of the politics guys. Uh, that, was one, that was a really good interview. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm touching the book right now. I still have the book here, uh, Repeal the, uh, the Second Amendment. So the issue takes on, the Second Amendment takes on a unique shape because there is this radical strain in some ways of American thought that traces to Locke, right? And when we first talked, covered the Constitution, we, we covered this, right? Those social contract theorists of Locke uh, that kind of really get most viewed in the Declaration of Independence, that kind of idea that you can and ought to overthrow governments in certain circumstances. And you, you can see this historically, uh, of when, like, for example, when Jefferson writes and talks of France in his famous 1787 letter uh, to William Smith, who is, as a matter of fact, a son-in-law of John Adams, when he says, quote, what country before ever existed a century and a half without a rebellion? And what country can preserve its liberties if their rulers are not worried from time to time that their people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. The remedy is to set them right as to the facts, pardon and pacify them. What signify a few lives lost in a century or two? The tree of liberty must be refreshed time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It's a natural manure. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you can't get much more radical than that. Uh, and, and this, I think, is kind of maybe the standard view of many of people who kind of kind of broadly think of themselves on the right. They look to I, uh, they look to the items and the framers, and they look to things like Blackstone, who argued that quote the natural right of resistance and self preservation where sanctions of society and laws are found insufficient to restrain the violence of oppression, end quote. In other words, in, in his view, uh, he goes on to call that weapons are an auxiliary right designed to support the core rights of things like resistance to opposition. Others in this view, uh, and scholars in this view, are going point to point to individuals like George Mason. When describing what a militia was, he replies, quote, I ask, sir, what is a militia? It is the whole people except for a few public officials, end quote, <laughs> in his famous debate, which again might put a particular spin on the Second Amendment. Uh, now, like I said, uh, that is, I think, the standard view for many on the right. They're going to they're gonna look to that. Now, as Lichman, I think he really sums this up really well. Uh, he says, look, it's that weird Second Amendment phrase in his terms. And he says, quote, tied together with a comma, <laughs> end quote. And, and as he puts it, it's, quote, a collective, not an individual right to bear arms, end quote, in his book. And the primary purpose of his book is to overview that there weren't arms for self-defense or for fighting the states, but rather what they were for was trolling North America from native peoples and from enslaved black peoples. And so I think this kind of brings us to that, that view. And, and so more recently, of course, Ken, and then I'm going to set you loose on all of this, is we kind of get those two key modern cases that, that have come to define the Second Amendment. That's the District of Columbia versus Heller in 2008, where we have a split 5-4 ruling where the Supreme Court argued that the language and history of the Second Amendment showed it was that first view, that it protected a private right of individuals to have arms for their own defense uh, and not just a right for kind of obtaining a militia. The dissenters, of course, disagreed and argued that it's not really about inclusive and individual rights. 
it's certainly not barring the government, in their words, from banning certain types of urban firearms from urban areas. And this leads us to our most recent case, which is McDonald versus the city of Chicago in 2010, which then incorporated that right. So, I mean, Ken, that's, that's a lot, but I hope I've set it up pretty well. Uh, what is your jurisprudence thought on the Second <laughs> Amendment? Yeah, we're going to actually have to come up closer to the present than uh, McDonald because the Bruin case last year is very important as well. Okay, well, well then but, okay, that yeah. bring us up so, to speed. Yeah, but we'll start earlier. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, you talked about uh, Blackstone and about George Mason and, and people like that. And I, I think it is important to remember that they were talking about forms of government that were not democracies, right? So they're talking about strong British monarchy being the form of government or even, you know, later when you had sort of parliamentary uh, parliamentary government in England, but still subject to uh, monarchical uh, intervention. And so a lot of that kind of discussion about the, the need of the people to be able to um, overthrow uh, a government that becomes tyrannical um, you know, applies uh, in contexts where the the government was not an elected government, right? And I I think it I don't think that kind of talk fits very comfortably when you're talking about an elected government because if you're if you're talking about um you know if 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 we were talking today about you know should the people in Saudi Arabia have a right to bear arms so they could overthrow their their strong monarchy, um I, I would support that. Um, but when but when you're talking about the people in America being able to do that, you're talking about a minority of people using force to overthrow uh, a government that was legitimately popularly elected by a majority of people. And I, I, I don't think that's a valid uh, political principle that that, that that should be uh, permissible. Um, you know, if, if, the, if, the, if the ballots are functioning right, then we shouldn't need to use the bullets to overthrow the government. I think it should be considered wrongful to do that. Um, so I, I did want to kind of address the context for those early comments. Then in terms of the, the early jurisprudence, um, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. So in the in the colonial period, including including the post-colonial period, there there were laws that um, you know I think you know there were no court cases yet, but there were just laws that historians look at that you know provide some grist for both sides of this argument. Um, in 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 colonial Massachusetts and post-colonial Massachusetts, um, uh, there were actually laws requiring um, uh, able-bodied adult men to, to to purchase arms and to have arms. And there were also uh, laws that um, required them to keep those arms in an armory and not to keep them at home. Um, and so I, I think that sort of, you know, on the one hand, you know, if the government could compel everybody to have arms, um, that somewhat supports, you know, the, the pro-gun view that, you know, people should have arms. Um, you know, on the other hand, if, if part of that, that, um, uh, that, that same law is, you know, and keep them in the armory, and, and then if, if there's an Indian attack or something like that, we'll all go to the armory and get our rifles, but, um, you know, don't keep them around the house where they're just going to cause accidents. Um, you know, that was all, that was all, uh, uh, part of what you see in the, in the, in, in both the colonial and the, and the post-colonial, uh, era. Um, yeah, I do tend to agree with uh, the 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 um, you know the, the summary that you gave um, that that the the kinds of reasons that Americans uh, bore arms in the in the in the colonial and post-colonial era was more related to concerns about uh, attacks from Indians, uh, about uh, attacks from from slave uprisings, or perhaps attacks from um, the British government, which might reinvade, you know, in fact did reinvade, right? So we had the War of eighteen twelve. 
because the British government reinvaded after after the Revolutionary War, and there were those kind of concerns. You know, we, we'd had the French and Indian Wars, so there was even concerns that the, the French could invade from from Quebec, or or the Spanish could invade from from the American West, which was then Spanish territory. So I think there were various national security concerns um, that that guns gun ownership was was meant to. Um, you know, address. I, I don't think it was very uh, part of early American thought at all that that it would be legitimate to use guns to uh, over over overthrow the the democratically elected government that we created in our constitution. Um, and you know, Jefferson talked that way, but remember, Jefferson also thought that a, a better uh, a better uh, solution than 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 the the using the blood of patriots and tyrants. Um, something that he also advocated was that the constitution sunset every twenty years, and that. Um, um, the people would have to re-ratify it or else it would dissolve, and then they'd have to have a new constitutional convention. So, you know, he had uh, uh, he he had a kind of uh, fervent opposition to what today might be called originalism, right? He he really hated the idea that that people might be ruled by the dead hand of the past, and he saw he saw twenty years as as the past, and you know that, that if we write down a constitution now and it creates a form of government, you know, yeah, I think he wanted that government to be overthrown twenty years later, but not necessarily by guns. I think you know just by having a new constitutional convention. Would have been a better way to do that in in uh, Jefferson's uh, mind. I hate to have to stop the conversation, but that's it. That is it for the ad-supported free preview of the midweek exclusive show for supporters. So if you'd like to listen to the rest of my and Ken's conversation about the Second Amendment, I'm going to need to ask you to become a supporter of the politics guys and that's not hard to do all you have to do is head to patreon.com slash politics guys again that's patreon.com slash politics guys where you can become a member of the politics guys which includes lots of really cool free things but that means this show it also means this show without ads. It also means our weekend show without ads. It also potentially means other really cool things like access to our supporters only Discord group. I would love for to be a part of that. I would love to be interacting with you on a weekly basis. So if you want to make that possible again, I need you to head to uh, patreon.com slash politics guys and there you're going to see all the different levels of support pick the level of support that works for you with the benefits that you need that include this show also don't forget there's other ways to support the politics guys if you don't want to be on patreon we're on venmo where we're at politics guys you can also support the show through paypal all of those links are in the show notes. Scroll on down, or if you like to put things into your web browser, head to politicsguys.com support. Now, if you'd like to get the rest of our exclusive supporter show, well, and you're just not in a position to financially do that, please reach out to us at mail at politicsguys.com so that we can get you set up. I certainly understand what it's like to be on a fixed income. Now, for everybody else, if you want to get all those really cool goodies, again, patreon.com slash politicsguys. Now, whether you're a supporter or not, it is everything for you to rate this show and leave reviews, whether it be on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So please take just 30 seconds right now and just hit those star buttons for us. That makes 
all the difference in the world. If you've got a question, comment, correction, or anything else you'd like to share with us, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook and X, and you'll find all of those links in the show notes. The Politics Guys is only possible because of the executive producers, and those are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Marino, Andre, uh, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. We'll be back with a new episode this weekend. I hope you'll join us.